Acts chapter 11. And just uh, FYI, there'll be no slides today. All right? All right? No slides. And we've got, we had a, there's a software update issue going on, and that's what happens when you rely on technology, right? So no slides, meaning if you're here new, a lot of times I'll use cross-references, and I put them up on the um, screen so you don't have to try to flip and keep up. So they won't be there. I'll try to speak a little bit more slowly today uh, during that time. So if you want to write those cross-references down, you can do that. But, and, and I say this, I don't know if Dirk's here this morning. A lot of times when Dirk's running a soundboard and something's going on with Mike, I so I don't need that anyway. And then he turns me completely off. And in reality, we don't need technology, but you know, it's helpful. And there's nothing evil about technology. Sometimes it can be helpful to help us learn. And so we're thankful for that. Um, but this morning, we're going to uh, continue our series uh, called Missio Dei, which is the mission of God and uh, in the book of Acts. And the, the, this morning, we'll be covering the entirety of Acts 11. All right, all 30 verses um, by the grace of God. And the title of our message this morning is God is Faithful. God is Faithful. So let me pray and ask our faithful God to do what only he can do. Lord, uh, we are so thankful for the fact that you are faithful. Now, Lord, uh, your word says great is your faithfulness. And Lord, compared to any other faithfulness, it is beyond great. In fact, we don't even have words to describe your faithfulness. Lord, we're thankful for that. Thank you for, for, for the privilege to come before your word. And Lord, pray that we would sit under your word, not over it. Lord, we would uh, listen with uh, willing and submissive hearts to your word. Lord, we ask that you would do what only you can do. And that is help us not only understand your word, but Lord, to live it out. Uh, Lord, you know where each of us are this morning. Where some of us need uh, an arm around us. We need some uh, tender love. We need your tender mercy. Lord, so I pray that you would do that for those. Lord, some of us need um, a challenge. We need to be challenged, Lord. Um, maybe we're uh, in a state in our walk with you that we feel stagnant. And uh, we're apathetic. So, Lord, we pray that you would uh, challenge those who are in that state. Lord, all of us need to be changed to be more and more like Jesus. So, Lord, you know where we are, and we ask that you would do that for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, um, Hudson Taylor, and many of you may have read about Hudson Taylor or heard of him. If not, let me just tell you a little bit about Hudson Taylor. He was a famous and courageous missionary in China in the 1800s. And uh, he was uh, the founder of the China Inland Mission. I mean, you may have heard of that too. If not, you have now. All right, so next time I mention Hudson Taylor, at least you know that much about him. But in, he was in Birmingham, Birmingham one time, England. And on uh, a particularly stormy night, he was to speak at a meeting at the Seven Street Schoolroom. Uh, his uh, hostess assured him that nobody would attend such on, on such a stormy night. It was just the weather was too bad. But Taylor insisted on going. I must go even if there is no one but the doorkeeper. Less than a dozen people showed up. But the meeting was marked with unusual spiritual power. Half of those present either became missionaries or gave their children as missionaries. And the rest were faithful supporters of the China Inland Mission for years to come. See, Hudson Taylor was not only a picture of faithfulness on that night, but throughout 
his life in China. Um, and my question is, where are men like Hudson Taylor and women like Hudson Taylor today? Where are the people who are faithful like that? Who would go only if the doorkeeper was there? Oh, it's rainy. You know, I can't get out. It's stormy. It's difficult. I can't get there. But Hudson Taylor went. And God used that little meeting of 12 people to help get the gospel out in a greater way throughout China and around the world. Why? Because God, the faithful God, used one of his people who was faithful to get the gospel out. It doesn't seem like we hear the word faithful used a whole lot anymore in our culture at all for anything. And even when we use it, we're, 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 we want to bring it back because we know that that's probably not true, that faithfulness is not a good way to describe a situation. In fact, the word unfaithful uh, seems to be more appropriate word in our day and age. I consider the fact that many professional athletes seek loopholes to get out of their contracts that they have signed. They've signed it. I'm committed to play under these terms, and yet when someone else gives a little bit more money or has a little bit better terms, they look for loopholes in their contract to try to get out of something that they have committed to. Uh, employees make promises to their employers and they don't keep them. Employers make promises to their employees and they don't keep them either. Parents make promises to their children in which they fail to be faithful and vice versa. Children make promises to parents and they fail to be faithful. Christians make promises to each other and even Christians fail to be faithful to each other all the time. And we could go on and on, couldn't we? And you're, we're all probably feeling bad enough that you're hoping I'm going to keep going and just pass on this part. But we all are unfaithful in areas of our life. And all this makes for a world of people who have a hard time trusting each other. What happened to the handshake? What happened to a person's word? You don't hear that much anymore, do you? Because we don't trust each other. We want it in writing. Because of unfaithfulness is all over our world. Yet this should not be the case in the body of Christ, though. That, that last thing I said there about Christians are unfaithful to the word of each other, that should not be the case. Of all people, we as Christians should be faithful. After all, we serve a faithful God who's faithful, faithful, faithful. And, and since we've been redeemed by the faithful God, that faithful God of the universe, the Word of God calls us to be faithful in all that we do. In fact, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Therefore, a testimony, a testimony of the fact that God, the faithful God, has given us new life. When we see faithfulness in our lives, which we do, I would not say overall our body is always unfaithful. I don't think that's the case, thankfully. But it's a testimony that the faithful God has changed us and given us new life when we are faithful. Even though we're called to be faithful, let's admit we're not always faithful. And this necessarily causes, um, even in our own body, let's be honest, all right? Even in our own body, right here at Grace Bible Church, it causes us to be hesitant to commit be hesitant to make a promise. Maybe for fear the other person won't hold up the end of the deal. Or maybe for fear that we may not hold up 
So often people may be asked to do something and you might hear this, I don't think I've ever heard this, but you might hear this response. Maybe. You know what maybe is? It's a kind way of saying no. Let our yes be yes and our no be no and trust that our faithful God will empower us to keep our commitment. I've told you this before. My good friend Bob Warren who passed away a little over a year ago mentored me and um, Bob was to me the epitome of faithfulness. And we were working on, we worked at summer camp for 20 some years together and we would begin in the spring talking about what we were going to do and kind of exchange ideas what was going to happen and I asked Bob a question that I needed to know so I could carry out my responsibilities at camp that summer and plan for that. And he said, you know, Brian, I don't know that right now. Let me get back with you tomorrow with the answer. So the next day, Bob called. But he didn't have the answer. He said, Brian, I called because I promised I'd call. But I don't have your answer. I'll keep looking for it. And somebody, well, what a waste of time. He didn't need to call you. He, if, you shouldn't have been so hard. I wasn't hard. I, mean, I didn't ask him to call me. He called because he made a commitment to me to be faithful even in the little things. And oh, that, would be, oh, that should be true of all of us, right? As a faithful God has indwelt us. But thankfully, here's the good news. God is always faithful. Always. Always. The scripture constantly reminds us of his faithfulness. And you can see it throughout the Psalms, like in Psalm 36, verse 5. It says, Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Psalm 92 verses 1 and 2. A psalm, a song for this Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness at night. We should want to shout about the faithfulness of God. And it even says in Timothy, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He's not intimidated by our faithlessness. He will always be faithful. That's great news. There's no doubt of the fact that God is faithful. And this morning as we study Acts chapter 11 verses 1 through 30, we're going to be reminded of the fact that God is faithful. And if you don't get anything out of these 30 verses but this, that God is faithful, great. Great. We need to be reminded of that, don't we? Do we live in a world that I just showed that is not super faithful? We need to be reminded that God is faithful and the implications that come from his faithfulness in our life. So I'm going to walk down through these 30 verses here and, and uh, explain what's going on and, and point to some specific things. There will be implications about application all throughout these 30 verses. Even some of them that I may not even bring up that the Lord will bring up in your mind as we work through them. But I'll come back and I'll give us uh, at least three implications that we hope will lead to application in our life. But before we, we look at Acts 11, I want us to briefly look at Genesis chapter 12. You're thinking, oh my goodness. We're going all the way back and starting in Genesis. I preached the whole book of Genesis. Oh, it's been many years ago. And, uh, but we're not going to do that this morning. But we are going to go back all the way to Genesis first. Alright, so take your Bible, a copy of God's Word that you might have, electronic or what, paper style, and look at Genesis chapter 12, verses, uh, verses 1 and 3. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, and, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you 
And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So here we see uh, the call of Abraham and what is known as the Abrahamic covenant, if you've studied any of that. But at least you can see here that God is calling Abraham, or Abram at this point, he changed his name to Abraham later, but he's calling him. And he's making some promises uh, to Abraham, and, there, and there's quite a few there. We're not going to look at all of them. I want us to zero in just on one of the promises that God makes to Abraham here. At the end of verse 3 there in, in Acts 12, it says, And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God promised Abraham that in him and, and in the nation that would come from him, all the other nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. Now how does this take place? Well, Jesus ultimately, the Messiah, would come from Abraham and his descendants. The, the, the one who was sent to pay the sin debt that no one could pay so we could be made right with God. Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of this promise, at least through him, then all the nations would be blessed. And the Lord, um, through John, reminds of the, uh, us of, of this in, in Revelation 5, 9. It says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And Jesus did not die in vain but paid the sin debt from pe for people for, from all over the world. He paid the debt. Not a possibility that the debt might be paid, but he paid the debt from all, for all kinds of people from all over the world. And remember that Jesus promised the disciples in Acts 1-8, which we saw as the outline of the book of Acts, that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of of the earth. And until chapter 10 in Acts, the vast majority which we've seen of people who came to faith in Christ were Jewish. The church was mostly made up of Jews at that time. And as we studied in Acts 10 and we saw the Lord use Peter to take the gospel to Caesarea, uh, we saw him take this gospel to Caesarea to a Gentile or a Greek named Cornelius. And Cornelius and many of his family and friends responded to the message of the gospel and they turned from them trusting themselves and they trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as a savior from their sin. So all of a sudden, Gentiles are starting to come into the church. And this, one, and this was the beginning of the promise being fulfilled to Abraham. Listen, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Is God faithful? You bet he is. And we're going to start. And it was always, it was, it was happening in the Old Testament. You don't see it highlighted as much. It was already happening, but it's definitely happening in the New Testament, and we can't help but miss it here in the book of Acts. As all of a sudden, the door just starts to open up, and it's way bigger than any of us ever thought. And he begins to fulfill his promise to Abraham. So let's look at Acts 11, and continue to see here how God is faithful. Peter has seen God work in a great way by bringing many Gentiles to faith in Jesus and bringing them into the church. And then returns to Jerusalem um, to all his Jewish buddies who were followers of Jesus. So look what happens there at the beginning of uh, chapter 11. 
uh, in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him. In other words, they had some real concerns and doubts about the Gentiles receiving the word of the Lord. There were some serious problems that they had with Peter going there and spending all this time with the Gentiles there in Caesarea in Cornelius' house. Now look at verse 3. And here's what they said. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Ooh! Are you kidding me, Peter? What happened? I mean, there is not, uh, that's their concern. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, nowhere in the Old Testament, this is interesting, is it forbidden for a Jew to eat with a Gentile? Nowhere. It had become tradition because they hated the Gentiles so much. That if you ate with a Gentile, that was the worst sin ever. But nowhere in the Old Testament can you find a Jew can't eat with a Gentile. But here they are adding and even, now these are followers of Christ now. These were people who have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ who grew up in a Jewish background. That's, that's, that's their ethnicity. Is, they're Jewish. Alright, but they've trusted in Christ, the, the promised Messiah, to be their Savior and Lord. And yet they have this baggage holding on from what they always believed. And we saw that God worked with Peter, didn't he? In chapters 9 and 10, God began to break his heart of his prejudice that he had. To show him, no, the gospel is for all. I sent my son for all peoples of the world, not just Jews. And yet the, God hadn't brought to them to this point, these people to this point, or to that point at this time. Now, um, let's look at verse 4 and see what happens. All right, they've got a concern. What are you doing with these eating with uncircumcised people? Look at verse um, 4. We'll read down uh, through verse 16. Verse 4 through 16. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, and an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beast and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at the moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter gives testimony to what happened in, in, in Cornelius' house in chapter 10. And how the Lord worked on their hearts. And how the Lord gave the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwelt the believers there in Caesarea, these Gentiles, just like he did 
in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost with all the Jews. The same thing happened. And he tells them what happened. And we studied that in detail last week because that's all of chapter 10. He's just recounting this. He comes back with his six buddies to Jerusalem. Hey, what are you doing with these Gentiles eating with them? Well, let me tell you what happened. They received the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, came down and indwelt them just like he did us. Gentiles, just like us. And then look what he says in verse 17. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And insinuated in this is this. Who are you to stand in God's way? That's what he's saying to all the apostles are part of this. See, they're apostles. Who are you to stand? If I, God's going to do this, who are we to stand in God's way to do this? To do something we thought was unimaginable. That he would bring Gentiles in and we would be one. Well, what was their response? Look at verse 18 to their response to Peter. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Wow. I just, it's not a side note, but it's definitely insinuated here. It's something that jumps off the page at me. We often can be cynical, can't we? And we hear that old high school buddy or friend or whatever who just used to live like hell has come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Well, you know, we're going to need to talk to him a little bit about that and really see if he understands. And I want to know what kind of church he goes to. What's he been hearing? I mean, how in the world could John come to faith in Jesus Christ? You know how bad he was? And we get real cynical. And we don't trust that the Lord could change John like he changed us. And that's a sad state when we don't believe that. When we hear that that's what's happened. We need to trust the Lord's changed their heart, right? And rejoice. It said they quieted down. Maybe the level of, hey, what are you doing here with these Gentiles? And all of a sudden they heard and they said, whoa, praise you, Lord. Praise you for doing this a lot in the Gentiles like you did to us. And that should be our response when we hear about old John or Betty or whoever it is that's come to faith in Jesus Christ. We should glorify God and say what they did. God has granted them the repentance that leads to life. That's what he had done. God has given them the ability to turn from sin and self-righteousness and to turn to Jesus as their Savior from sin and their Lord. That's what happened. They, they, didn't, they did not and we do not work for repentance or faith, uh, which is they go hand in hand. Repentance and faith, is, is two, it's one coin with two different sides. You can't really have one without the other when it comes to being a Christian. They, it's not two different things. It's one, two things together. All right? they're, and they're both a gift from God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says this. It's a very familiar verse to most of us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And listen to this. And that, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one can boast. All right, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay? Uh, then it says, and that not of yourselves. And the that, just I don't want to get into all the grammar, but the that points to the whole process of salvation is a gift from God. Your faith is a gift from God. Your repentance is a gift from God. You can't take credit. I can't take credit for any of it. That's the, what's being communicated. Well, you know, if God didn't have my faith, I mean, how would he save me, right? 
Or if God didn't have my repentance or my humble heart, how would he save me? He doesn't let us do that. It's all a gift from him. All of it. And, and the, the structure there in Ephesians clearly shows that. And here in Acts, we see perhaps God has granted them. It's the word gift. It's the word charis. It's the same word that we get the word grace from. Granted them repentance that leads to life. Then it says, so that no one can boast, right? In Ephesians. So we can't get to heaven and say, God, aren't you so glad to have me? You know, we kind of did this together. You know, my, my great faith and repentance and you sent Jesus and if it wasn't for my faith and repentance it never would have happened. So I'm on your team now. Aren't you thankful? And we can't do that. We can't have anything to boast about. The only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin. That's what we bring. And God grants us. And I don't know how that all works. And, and, and when somebody tells they know how it all works, they don't know how it all works. But I know it works. I know it's what the scripture teaches. So that's why I believe it. That's what it says. Well, the believers in Jerusalem could only conclude that God was doing the same work among the Gentiles as he did among them. Well, at least in Caesarea. I mean, in Caesarea, we know this is happening. It's getting, it's getting ready to get out of hand, though. Because God is not only at work in Caesarea, but in any other Gentile lands as well. This whole thing is getting ready to get out of hand. Watch out. Look at verse 19 with me. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyrus, Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Things have really gotten out of hand now. I mean, it's not just Caesarea. They're letting everybody in. And we'll see later in chapter 15 that there's still people who got a little problem with this still. The Gentiles. There's going to be this whole council in Jerusalem. And, and James is going to help set them straight. All right? But the, 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 there's our, it's still a problem. And it's, it's just continuing to grow. And, and it's, it's just getting out, of, getting out of hand and getting out of the borders. And they're trying to contain it and they can't. Because the gospel is now getting to places like Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And, and notice who is taking the gospel to these places. Look there. It says, those who were scattered because of the present persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. And we saw this take place in Acts 7. When Stephen gives his sermon. And they're not happy about it at all. The Hellenist Jews are not. And they hate it so much that they stone Stephen to get death. And if you got your Bibles turned there, again, Acts 1. I mean, Acts 8, chapter, Acts 8, verse 1. Look what it says. Saul, of course, was involved in this. Saul was in hearty agreement with him putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now look at verse 4 in chapter 8. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And here we have in, in Acts 11, that very thing happened. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. These are the people that are preaching the word. Verse 19 says that at first they just spoke to the, Jew, the Jews about the gospel. And then verse 20 says that they spoke, some, some of them went to Antioch and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus to the Greeks. These scattered Christians were taking the gospel to the Gentiles. There's no, there's no control over it at all. It's just exploding and they're just going. And not only Gentiles, but Gentiles, listen to this, who lived at Antioch. Let me say it this way. Who lived in a place like Corinth. 
and maybe even worse than Corinth because it was a lot bigger. Now, many of you who study the Bible, you know about Corinth. It was a cesspool of sin. And just multiply that by about 10 times, now you got Antioch. I mean, the gospel's getting to Antioch. Uh, one commentator says, says this, Antioch was the third largest city in the empire after, uh, after Rome and Alexandria. It was, uh, it was Syrian in population, Greek in culture, Roman in government. And Antioch was well known for its evil and wicked living and cult prostitution. And we'll just stop right there. It was an awful, ugly city from people from all over the known world at the time. And it was like the Vegas of the day. The gospel was being heard by people who were considered to be the most wicked in the world and their lives were being changed. Now who were these people taking the gospel besides the, the, the they were scattered? Uh, um, besides that, who were these people taking the gospel of the Gentiles? Was it the apostles? No. Was it elders or deacons? It doesn't say that. Was it the people who were seminary trained professionals? Who had their doctors and PhDs and all that kind of stuff? It doesn't say that. Look at verse 20. Some of them, these people who have been scattered, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. It wasn't the apostles or some people who had been given some special instruction to be career missionaries. It was just some people. Just some people. No special credentials. Don't even give their name. Just some people. And this points to the fact that God uses all people to help fulfill the mission of his church, which is a fulfillment of the promise he made to Abraham, that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Just some people. Like you and me. Just some people. Notice what happened. Well, first of all, we don't want to miss this. If it's people like you and me, then if we've been rescued then from, this, from sin by faith in Jesus, then we are called to be some people. Are you some people? You bet. And so am I. We're some people. We're some people. And I don't care what your training is and your educational background or your call on your life. We're called to take the gospel. And we don't have to have any special credentials to do that except that we have trusted in Jesus Christ. Now we're part of some people. And I want to encourage us here at Grace Bible Church. Let's be those some people. Notice what happens when they proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles in verse 21. It says, and I read this, it says, And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. I love that. A large number. I mean, is this thing getting out of hand? I mean, there may be more Gentiles than there are Jews in the, in the church at this point now. I mean, it's just blowing up. A large number, it says, believed, who believed turned to the Lord. This whole being my witness to the uttermost part of the world is happening. It's gotten out of hand. Why? Because it's a work of the Lord and not of man. Man would try to manage it, wouldn't we? We'd try to manage it. And I'm sure there were some people, and we'll see in, in, in Acts 15, there were some people still trying to manage this thing. And they couldn't manage it because it was a work of the Lord. Notice what it says, that phrase in verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them. I love that. The hand of the Lord was with them, which enabled people to believe and turn to the Lord. I love that. In different translations, it says, believe, it says in, 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 in verse 21, it says, they believe, those number who believe turned to the Lord. Some translations say believed and turned to the Lord. You see that faith and repentance? They believed and they turned. They go hand in hand. 
Because true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can't still have faith in yourself. We understand you can't still have faith in yourself to save yourself. You got to turn from that and trust in Jesus Christ. They go hand in hand. That's true saving faith. And right here, they, those who believe turned to the Lord. Know that is, it, it, as as you take the gospel to others, that this will be true too. The hand of the Lord will be with you. Isn't that good news? And if we're all honest, sometimes we're a little gun shy about sharing the gospel with people, aren't we? We are. All of us are. But know this. The hand of the Lord will be with you. What else do we need? We don't need some kind of clever way to share the gospel with them. We might use some different techniques to talk to them about the gospel and bring up the conversation. But we don't need it. We just need to know the hand of the Lord will be with us. You see, we present the message. He changes the heart. Pressure's off. There should be no pressure about evangelism. He changes the heart. We just present the message. Well, we see that God is faithful here in fulfilling the promise to Abraham that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now look at verse 22. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then he arrived and witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. The news of the Gentile revival in Antioch had reached the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to check it out. What better man to send than Barnabas? His name means son of encouragement. What better man to send to the people of Antioch than Barnabas? I can't think of anyone. And he arrives and it says this about it. He says he witnessed the grace of God. I love that phrase. He witnessed the grace of God because it points to the fact that when the grace of God shows up in the life of people, you can't help but take notice. When God's grace comes crashing into our life, comes flowing into our life, it flows out of it in such a way that people take notice. God's grace changes people from the inside out. This is the promise of the new covenant that people will receive new hearts and they will desire to love the Lord. They will desire to love, uh, obey the Lord. It doesn't say they always will obey the Lord. They will sin, but there will be a new desire. There will be a change of direction in their life. And others will notice. And here's a question for us this morning. Can others witness the grace of God in your life? Can others witness the grace of God in your life? Well, then it says that the son of encouragement, I love this, the play on words, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, encouraged them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Because God is faithful... They were encouraged to be faithful to him. And they could because God, the Holy Spirit, who was in them, would empower them to be faithful. So what did he do next? What did Barnabas do next? Think about this. He was the only preacher in town sent by the apostles. He's the only guy who had credentials. He's the only guy who had a degree on his wall in Antioch. Think about this. I mean, he could have just not told anybody. He could have grown a cool church in Antioch, couldn't he? Pastor Barnabas, right there on the marquee, right? Pastor, teacher, Barnabas. Is that what he does? Nope, that's not what he does at all. Look at verse 25. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, 
And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Saul had been off the scene in Tarsus for eight to ten years now. The apostles sent him to Tarsus to save his life because he was riling all the Hellenist Jews, which he used to be up um, by, by talking about the gospel. They didn't like it. So he sent him off. We talked about this early. For eight to ten years, he's been off the scene. And here's what Barnabas does. Barnabas knows that Saul was prepared for a place just like Antioch. His background, his training, his education, his life experience, there was no one better to bring into Antioch than Saul of Tarsus. So he goes looking for him. Barnabas knew that he wasn't the guy. He could be part of it, but he needed Saul to come along and pour into the believers who were at Antioch. So that's what they do. They pour into these believers, these new followers of Jesus Christ. And this is so critical for new believers. And if you're a new follower of Christ, I want to encourage you with this. Please keep coming on Sunday morning. Please keep coming and be with, with, with God's people on Sunday morning and experience the fellowship and the love and build relationships. Hear the preaching of the word. Worship corporately with people. That's, the one of, that's one of the ways that God has given us to grow, to mature us. Jared linked to an article this week about the importance of coming together as a body. For some reason in our world today, that doesn't seem very popular anymore, does it? But it's essential for our growth. So I want to encourage you to do that. I also want to encourage you to get involved in life group where you can meet with a smaller group of people and, and you can grow and learn from them and they can encourage you along the way. And I also want to encourage you to do this if you're a newer believer is to find someone, just one-on-one, -on -one, to sit down with you and just to pour into you. To point you to the word. To bounce things off of. To help you learn and understand the scriptures. And you may have more questions. Find someone like that. And if you've been walking with the Lord for some time. Then make yourself available to new believers. Well I don't have time. Make time. Most of us here have, can point to people. Individual people in our life. Individual people in our life. That took their time to sit down with us. And help us grow as believers, can't we? Most of us can think of that. Well, you know, I've got this new Bible study and I'm going a little deeper in Revelation. And, and you know, my buddy over here, brand new, I don't really have, I, I don't want, I, I want to study this and I don't have time to help them go through anything else. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What's deeper than the gospel? What's deeper than walking in the Spirit? What's deeper than those things? And yet sometimes we can become so self, and I'm not thinking about anybody in particular, but, my, but myself. We can become so self-absorbed about our own walk with Christ, we forget about how God designed it, that we would, older believers would walk with younger believers to help them along the way. So if you're that more mature believer, been walking with the Lord for a while, find some new believer and begin to meet with, you, meet, meet with them and see what God does in your life too. You'll benefit maybe more than they do because you've humbled yourself. Let's do it. Let's get together. I want encourage us to do that. That's what Paul and Barnabas said, said for a year. Now notice in, in, in verse 26, it says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And then this name was given to the Christians uh, um, by the Gentiles, not, not the Jews, because it means a follower of Messiah. And that, they would never have called the Christians followers of Messiah, or the Christ, which is a Greek word for Messiah. It was given to them by the Gentiles to identify this new group of people and most likely an insult to them. The Christians, the party, of, the party of Christ, the followers of Christ. And this, however, became a badge of honor to be a Christian, to be called a Christian. As a Christian, it was, oh, you bet. 
I'm a follower of Christ. I'm of the party of Christ. Let me ask you this question. What would have identified these people as followers of Jesus Christ? What would have identified them as that? Did they wear a name badge? Did they have a Christian t-shirt? Well, I doubt it. Their life. The things that they said. The things that they did. The change that happened in their life. And it would be completely opposite to the things of the world. They're pursuing the things of the world. They were pursuing Christ and people saw that. They were followers of what was called the way. They believed he was the only way to be made right with God. And these things identified them. Do our words and works identify us as followers of Christ? Sadly, the word Christian doesn't mean what it used to. It doesn't mean in our world what it meant here. But do our words and our works identify us as followers of Christ? Now look at verse 27, 27 through the end of the chapter. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem, Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there were certain, uh, certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a con contribution for relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So there was a famine that greatly affected the church in Judea and Jerusalem. We learned about in other um, New Testament letters as, as well. And these new followers of Christ at Antioch took a, co a collection and sent it to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Little brother gave to big brother. Little brother helped out big brother. That's what happened here. Why? Because those who have been changed by the grace of God know it. And they're the most people, gracious people in the world. When you've been changed by the grace of God, you can't help but share that grace with others. To be a giver, to be generous. So do you see from the book of, uh, from chapter 11 of Acts that God is faithful? He will keep his promise and he did keep his promise to Abraham. In, all, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And he's using those who know Christ to bring blessing of the gospel to people from all families of the earth. And in the church, is not Jew and Gentile. But instead, it's only those who follow Christ. It's Christians. It's Christians. They're one. And they love each other, seeing their sacrifice for each other. So it's promise. Let me give you just a few things to, 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 to grab hold of. If you haven't grabbed hold of about the other ten things I've mentioned already, okay? And these may be reviewed for you. First of all, because God is faithful... Be faithful in taking the gospel to the nations. Because God is faithful, be faithful to, ta uh, to taking the gospel to the nations. His hand will be with you. Isn't that good news? When we go, we can trust that his hand will be with us. And he will grant repentance leading to life. Remember, we share the message, he changes the heart. So because he is faithful to fulfilling his mission of the church and continue to fulfill his promise to Abraham that through him and ultimately through Jesus all the nations are being blessed. Because of that, because he is faithful, we are to be faithful in taking the gospel to the nations. Secondly, because God is faithful, be faithful to encourage others. Because God is faithful, be faithful to encourage others. Verse 23 says that Barnabas rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And he and Saul spent a year in Antioch doing this. Encouraging others in their walk with Christ. Who are you encouraging in their walk with Christ? Who is it? 
Who are you encouraging? You ought to be able to write down somebody's name. I'm encouraging so-and-so in their walk with Christ. And if not, you need to find somebody to encourage in their walk with Christ. Thirdly, because God is faithful, be faithful in meeting the needs of the body of Christ. This was the practice of even new believers in Antioch. Barnabas and Saul did not say, no, 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 no. The whole sacrificial, generous part, that comes like five years into your walk with Christ. So don't worry about generous right now. That's not important. They don't say that. These are brand new believers. People who, these, most of these people weren't even Jewish. They didn't have a background of even the Old Testament scriptures. These are Gentile people. And they didn't say, well, hold off to you mature a little bit. No. In that year, all of a sudden, this famine came. And the response was, we're going to give. Why? Because they've been taught, first of all, their heart wanted to give, but they've been taught, yeah, that's what you do as a believer. You're generous, you're sacrificial to the needs of the body of Christ. Why? So the gospel can keep going out to the ends of the earth. So the fulfillment of the mission of the church that God has given His church can happen. And this all happens because God is faithful. That's great news. Well, let me ask you this question. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you part of the party of Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Notice I didn't ask, do you go to church? I didn't ask if you were baptized. I didn't ask if you read your Bible. I didn't ask if you're better than your neighbor. I didn't ask that. I want to know if you're a Christian. No, some of these will be fruit of you being a Christian. Are you a Christian? Have you turned? As it says here in this, they turned, all right? They turned from trusting in themselves, and they turned and they trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior from sin. Have you done that? If not, I pray you do that today. You cry out to God, Lord, have mercy on me. A sinner. I turn from trusting in myself, and I trust in you. Cry out to God to save you. And we'll pray that God would grant you repentance, Steve, leading to life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that you are faithful. And Lord, you have shown your faithfulness over and over again. And Lord, we are recipients of your faithfulness. Lord, as we read in the book of Acts, Lord, I pray that we would not only be recipients of your faithfulness, but we would be those who declare your faithfulness to the nations, beginning in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our community, and then all over the world. Lord, so we might rejoice in and be part of those from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, giving you the praise that you deserve. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.